Hello, and welcome to Enlightened Empaths, your community for the spiritually awakened, where we discuss, explore, and connect with fellow empaths, healers, intuitives, and seekers. Hello, Enlightened Empaths. We're so happy to have you join us once again this week. We're going to be discussing trauma and what trauma does to the body, mind, and spirit. So I know this can be a difficult topic for many people, but I think as empaths, it's a really important one to study and recognize and to really learn how it appears in your life. And when we talk about trauma, Denise, I don't think we're talking about trauma like getting mugged on the street. I I feel like what I'm talking about, and I hope we're on the same page here, is is more rooted in childhood trauma or feelings of being abandoned, neglected, or left out. Right. And I think another part to that is it may not necessarily just be from childhood. We always equate deep-rooted trauma and, and the impact of it to things that happen when we're little people, but it could be something that happened in your teens, in your 20s, in a marriage that went sour after many years because but the thing that really is interesting is on strengthtoheal.org there's an article by Dr. Rochelle Surrey and she said all causes of trauma have three aspects in common that there's an external cause so this is that it's not inflicted on one some we don't put trauma on ourselves it's something there's an external cause or catalyst that it happens to us the suddenness and unpredictability of a situation or experience are often key components when we do see something as traumatic. There's also a feeling of violation, and this may be an intrusion into your life. So you may feel that your physical, emotional, or psychological self has been invaded by something very unwelcome or unexpected, and it causes major distress. And the third aspect that she mentions is loss of control, because usually with traumatic experiences, because it's unexpected and sudden, and more often than not, we're not prepared for that to happen. And this can result in feeling overwhelmed and helpless and leave someone feeling very vulnerable and exposed to the cause of the trauma. And when you think about as empaths, we're already so finely tuned, which is a positive way to put it. When you add these aspects in, it really, in my opinion, exemplifies how deeply those roots may go for us. Yeah, it really does. I read a study from psychology today that said 90% of adults have experienced trauma in their lives. That's huge. Did you think it was that big? I didn't. And then this is, again, one of those things where what is hugely, hugely traumatic for me you may look at and say, oh, Denise, that's nothing. Or something that you'll be sharing something and I want to roll my eyes. Well, I would never do that with you, but (laughs) you you get the gist of it. Was it because we can't measure the level of trauma in someone else? It can be, oh, you're a child of divorce or you're this, or you were physically assaulted or you were berated in a verbally abusive situation. Whatever the, the cause, the root cause of what the trauma is, is all well and good, but it's it, it can't be measurable against someone else's experience. No, and I think that's the difficulty with being an empath with trauma, right? Because so few people will validate that trauma or they want to push it under the rug or not talk about it or let's focus on happier things. Right. 
Right. But when you get into, you know, the, the, the root causes and again, neglect, negligence, malevolence, or it might be a random something that happened that was beyond someone's control. Don't you think this ties in beautifully with so many of our own experiences, but also from the listeners about having a very narcissistic person in their life that was very instrumental in their upbringing? Yes, yes. And I think the damage a narcissist can do can be generational. It kind of, it, it can be, get passed on and on and on in terms of the traumatic effects it leaves on the person. Exactly. And I mean, truly it's universal. This isn't just, oh, you grew up in this location or this socioeconomic background or this, because it can affect individuals, cultural, social, political, religious, spiritual, economic, psychological backgrounds can all be different and it's still going to impact the person as an individual. Well, you know, I was reading about the responses we have to trauma and we've all heard of the fight or flight response, but did you know that they've added a ton more? Yes, there are so many. I read through a lot of this because this is a huge topic right now in the world. And I think there's a lot of information. There's a lot of soul searching. There's a lot to everything can be tied back to severe trauma with physical health, mental health, uh, spiritual health. Did you find that as well when you were researching? Yes, yes. And I, I want to talk about some of the physical aspects of it. But in terms of dealing with the narcissistic in your life, who's presenting trauma into your memories, the F responses, in addition to fight or flight, are freeze, fawn, and flop. And these made me think of especially children of narcissists, because freeze means you feel unable to move or make changes or decisions. Fawn is when you try to please everyone around you, especially those who hurt you most. And flop is when you have the stress response of just doing what you're told, not thinking about it, not questioning it, not thinking for yourself, just kind of flip-flopping on decisions in your life and following what the authoritarian tells you to do. Right. And unless you can go back and pull that root out, don't you feel that it would just impact so many aspects of your entire life? Yeah. A hundred percent. Do you want to talk about some of the emotional and mental responses to trauma? Well, I do. Um, And let me go back a minute here. You know, the, we talked about it differently, but it, and also as different as it may be and, and the impact it will have on your, your psychological or emotional makeup and functioning, it can interfere with the way a person processes emotions or perceives situations, expresses feelings, responds to circumstances, whether they're known or unknown. It can also be uh, the, the causes of, of emotional trauma or psychological trauma aren't limited to the, traditionally we would think, oh, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, physical abuse, verbal, financial, all of those things. Equally intense exposure to poverty, domestic violence, loss of a, of a loved one, exposure to war, acts of violence, insomnia, exposure to, to alcoholism and substance abuse, 
that's one of the, the things that are referenced is intense torture as in wars or that type of an environment. And we're being exposed to that on a global level right now, which is hopefully helping people realize we have to find that empathy, compassion, and kindness and start to look out for each other. But just again, the traumatic response, being a victim of theft, life-threatening illness, it goes on and on and on and how much it can impact your emotional and psychological well-being. Then you can add in spiritual trauma, which is gaining more recognition because it's related to how the spiritual beliefs and frameworks of a person and how these are maybe affected or challenged or modified by someone else. So these, the impact of this may be uh, having a spiritual emergency where a type of spiritual crisis that leads to sudden spiritual and mystical experiences that you might not be able to deal with in the moment. And we've talked about that in other shows of all of a sudden people are having these big downloads, they're waking up, they're being more sensitive. That's huge. That's huge to deal with. Or if we get into all of the sexual and emotional abuse by religious officials and that betrayal of trust and faith, of course, the cultural trauma of either as a collective or a social group is, is another impact that can leave very strong physical, mental, and spiritual indicators. Very true. You know, there's a really good book by Dr. Pete Walker called Complex PTSD. And he talks about how this is the result of being raised in an abusive or neglectful family that creates kind of this constant low-grade undercurrent of poor self-esteem, difficulty maintaining relationships, and often an inability to feel safe in the world. And one of the side effects of CPTSD is something Dr. Walker calls emotional flashbacks. And I thought this was really interesting, Denise. I'd never heard that phrase before. He says these aren't visual flashbacks. They are flashes of emotions triggered by something in our current day-to-day life that triggers an emotional response like fear, anxiety, anger, or sadness. And some people with CPTSD aren't even aware that they're having an emotional flashback because again, it's not like a visual. It's not like someone yells at you at work and you have this visual flashback of your dad yelling at you. Let's say, for example, that your dad always told you you were terrible at sports and called you names. And I don't know, maybe the whole family even laughed at you when you guys tried to play tennis or basketball. Now, flash forward to today and just let's say a coworker is tossing you something and you drop it. Your coworkers laugh and you totally freak out. You have this completely overreactive response to a fairly minor conflict. How you overreact is directly related to how you acted as a child when you were made fun of for not having good reflexes and is called an emotional flashback. So if your dad picking on you as a kid cause you to shut down and become quiet for a really long time, this is how you will respond to similar situations today. And that's called an emotional flashback. And that goes that goes along with everything that we were reading and getting ready for this show is unless you can find that original root cause, it's really hard to eradicate it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really is, which is why we have to get really honest 
about any trauma that is going on in our lives. Because right. it does affect our, our mental, spiritual, and physical health. Alice Miller, in her book, The Body Never Lies, she says the body is the guardian of the truth, our truth, because it carries the experience of a lifetime and ensures that we can live with the truth of our organism. With the aid of physical symptoms, it forces us to communicate harmoniously with the child within, the child who lives inside of us, and the child who was spurned, abused, or humiliated. What the body needs is truth. And she says bodily functions like circulation, digestion, and breathing only respond to feelings, not moral precepts or this is how I should feel, or I'm just going to push this down. She says the body responds to truth and facts. Wow. Yeah. I thought that was really interesting because in uh, Bernie Siegel's Love Medicine and Miracles, he has this story. He repeats this example a lot where he'll ask patients who have been diagnosed with an illness, what happened to you five years ago? And he says, most of the time, there is a trauma five years ago that was never fully dealt with. And so the body responds with an illness. And Alice Miller is saying something very similar in that any bodily effects we have from trauma, any illnesses that we are experiencing are really opportunities for us to give the body what it needs, which is the truth and the validation of our undercurrent of our emotions which lines up beautifully with you and i have said for years is pay attention to how your body is reacting because it will let you know and you can get into the mind body connection you can get into medical intuition you can get and i'm not saying that if you have a physical ailment not to go and and have that taken care of and and find the best avenue to do that with whatever resonates most with you i truly not a medical person, not playing one on TV, not talking about being one on a podcast. And I'm, I'm saying that with Jess, because I think that it's really important to, to hear what you just said, that our bodies will hold on to that. And chronic headaches, chronic fatigue, uh, stomach issues, you know, the whole thing I had read years ago about uh, diabetes being needing more sweetness in your life. So you, you feed that, you feed your body with excessive sugars. And I'm talking type two, just not gestational or type one diabetes. But doesn't that just make sense? It does. Need more sweetness in your life. So you would crave that. Uh, and I think, personally, I think they're all interwoven that if you've had a deep trauma, I, I think there will be aspects of physical, emotional, psychological trauma that that manifest. I don't think it's often just one. I think they blend. Yeah, I do too. Well, you know, research shows that trauma stimulates the central nervous system, which causes a lot of problems. One of the major ones are inflammation and more cortisol in our body. And just as you were saying with sugar, cortisol releases more sugar, which then impacts inflammation. And then it creates this domino of negative side effects in the body. High levels of cortisol in the body are linked to depression, autoimmune diseases, and heart disease. And it can also wreak havoc on our cognitive functions like 
difficulty making decisions, issues with memory, retaining information. Other physical symptoms of trauma are anxiety, difficulty sleeping, panic attacks. Some have heightened startled reflexes. Others are often hyper aware of their surroundings like noise and other disturbances. So there's a lot of physical ramifications that go along with unresolved trauma. Right. As you were just reading that, I was thinking about a couple times in my life where there were some pretty traumatic things that happened and how my body physically reacted and how that reaction continued until I actually turned around and faced what the traumatic situation was. Mm -hmm. Well, think about, remember those studies they did on the skiers, the Olympic skiers, and they had, they hooked up their brains and they had them go through their ski run mentally, visually in their mind. And their brain reacted as though they were actually doing that run physically I often have thought about that. If, if we're reliving a traumatic memory, is our brain pumping out cortisol in connection to that? Yes. I think that makes perfect sense. So this leads into some ways to know if you've been emotionally traumatized and that ties back into what we started the conversation with about if you've been with a narcissist, if you've been on red alert, if you've been with someone who is demeaning or demoralizing or, or emotionally abusive And a lot of times, and this goes along with traits of empaths beautifully, you have the tendency to become a people pleaser because your actions, your behaviors, your decisions may be influenced by this need to be liked, accepted, and belong, even to the point of neglecting your own personal needs to put others' needs first and constantly going out of your way for other people. So in a sense, you're actually programmed to do this because you're finding a way by being a people pleaser of validating your feelings, thoughts, and beliefs about yourself from others. And this can often stem from emotional neglect and validation as as a a little person. And that trauma of not being seen or acknowledged emotionally keeps that wounded child constantly looking for someone to see you and validate you. And that's the, the whole vicious cycle of it, because whether it's work or friends or trying to find that approval, there's a tendency to deny and to say, oh, well, my parents did the best they could, or my ex-partner didn't mean to treat me that way, or but that emotional pain you feel is there until you can accept the truth of not being validated at some point, which will then, of course, once you face it, lead to being able to really heal and move forward. That's the key, though, is facing it. You know, there's an old book. I think it was published in the 80s. It's called The Fantasy Bond. And in there, he talks about how so many people are married, you know, physically or or not uh, literarily to these illusions of these relationships they hold on to. So whether or not it's true or not, they hold on to this fantasy that if I do this, mom will love me. If I do this, dad will approve of me. If I do this, my spouse will, you know, change for the better. And he says in that book, you've got to let go of the fantasy and see what is really and truly in front of you. I was listening to, um, do you remember Elvira? Yes. Okay. (laughs) My dad loved her. So growing up, we had to watch Elvira. I think she came on Friday nights in our home. Anyway, 
uh, she was being interviewed on a podcast called Inside of You. And she was talking about how she had a narcissistic mother. And she said, I kept thinking my whole life, if I'm beautiful, she'll love me. If I'm smart, she'll love me. And she said, and you know, I, I did become pretty and I did, I was very smart and made good grades and I still didn't get that love. And so then I thought, well, if I become famous, she'll love me. If I make a ton of money, she'll love me. And she said, I just kept doing that. You know, the carrot was getting further and further away from her. And after achieving all these accolades, her mom still didn't love her. And she had to finally face that. That's an example of a fantasy bond where you think, you know, oh, if I do this, then this fantasy of of love will come true. Which correlates with being empathic, but also if anyone is in a codependent relationship with someone and they're saying, well, if I was prettier, if I worked harder, if I was smarter, it's that same exact thing. Mm -hmm. It will never be enough until we face it in ourselves and say, this is who I am and I need to deal with this and say, I'm okay. I'm really okay. Because another one of the signs of being emotionally traumatized is you may constantly doubt yourself. If your self-esteem was chipped away word by word by that whole story of sticks and stones, don't break, don't break bones, but they do. Verbal abuse can break your heart. It can hurt you physically. And that's been proven But having your emotion constantly invalidated is that core for self-doubt and low self-esteem. And especially verbal abuse in childhood will will imprint on that that little person's psyche that in that developmental process. So those, it creates those negative voices you hear inside your head. And then that inner critic in adult life is constantly working against you putting you down, saying horrible thoughts about yourself. And even if it's not the horrific level of some of the things we hear, it's still that it's like a pot simmering on the back of the stove. It's always right there. If you've unconsciously agreed to these verbal insults on some level, and if a little person who doesn't have the developmental capabilities to not own it as true, that's in your head now. And to quiet this is going to take a lot of dedication and persistence and patience. And you have to constantly remind yourself that these aren't my thoughts and reprogram your subconscious mind with more positive and healthier thoughts about yourself, which ties into the power of affirmations and not, not in that airy-fairy woo-woo way, but truly doing the work and saying the affirmation and believing it and, and integrating it into your daily life and your, and your soul. Not easy work, but it is important. And there's no, there's no shelf life on this. No. <laughs> if you're blessed to be able to do this in your teens, twenties, thirties, but don't give up if you're in your seventies, eighties, nineties, it will still help your quality of life. It will still free you. Look, when I was reading Alice Miller's book, The Body Never Lies, she said it took her 48 years to heal this. And she doesn't mean like she was 48 years old. She means it took her 48 years of interactive therapy to heal this. So it's an ongoing thing. Here's another quote from her book. She says, when children are born, what they need most from their parents is love, by which I mean affection, kindness, and the willingness to communicate. 
If these needs are gratified, the bodies of those children will retain the good memory of such caring affection all their lives. And later, as adults, they will be able to pass on the same kind of love to their children. But if this is not the case, the children will be left with a lifelong yearning for fulfillment of their initial and vital needs. And later life, this yearning will be directed at other people. The deprivation or hole is waiting there to be filled. Now, she says to fill this hole, we need an enlightened witness. And Pete Walker talks about this too in his book on complex PTSD. He talks about this need for a community of helpers and witnesses who can appear in the form of therapists, mentors, teachers, friends, partners. But they both say that these enlightened witnesses can also be in the form of books or classes you take to continue to study and evolve ourselves more fully. I'm glad they added that in. I'm really glad because I know that for some people who may have experienced such deep trauma, they may not have the words to be able to share that with another human being. They may not have the the sense of self or the strength, but if you can stop on a personal level, start there and then maybe work up to giving voice to it to someone else. I believe strongly, and I could be wrong because I'm no therapist either. Like Denise was saying, we have no medical background whatsoever, but I believe strongly in the power of giving voice to your story. I really do think you have to give it voice. I don't think it's enough to read about it or journal about it. That is just my opinion. But I know that when I hold things in, when I hold things back, it's not good. It's not good for my physical or mental health. And, you know, I told you, that's why my family called me the bullshit caller when I was a kid, because I would always call bullshit on, you know, the stuff. Oh, daddy's not, he's not drinking. He's just taking a nap. Really? No. So I, I hate it when people shove things under the rug. That's a trigger for me. And something that's been very helpful and healing is to kind of be in your face about it. You know, I will say to my sisters, look, this is what happened and we need to talk about it. That's been helpful and healing to me. So I don't know, maybe that's just me, but don't you think at some point you have to voice what you're seeing, feeling, experiencing, and remembering to a witness? I agree with everything you're saying wholeheartedly. So when you just said you've given voice to it to your sisters and they heard you, they may not have agreed you, but they stood there and listened and heard you, right? For the most part. (laughs) <laughs> I'm, I'm going more to the extreme of someone who may not have a sibling who will validate that it happened. They, were, they bring up things that they're like, you're making that up. That never happened. Or they're still in a situation where it's not safe to, to give voice to that. So finding that person, I think eventually it all leads to that. I agree with you completely. But if it takes you a while to find that, that's okay too. Yes, that is okay. And I don't know if the sibling raised in the home with you can be the witness because I don't care if you're a twin, a triplet, or you know your sibling is only nine months older than you. We all have different childhoods in the same home. Don't you believe that? Very much so. And so I think sometimes the witness needs to be someone who is completely objective. It can be a friend, it can be a therapist, 
but I do think at, at some point you need a witness. Remember what that therapist told me? I went to a therapist after my former husband's shooting, which was a huge trauma in our lives. And I, I have a really hard time crying in front of people. And yeah, that's connected to my childhood where we were told to stifle it all down. And I'm sitting in front of her and she was very compassionate and nurturing. And I'm not used to females being compassionate and nurturing. So I'm kind of awkwardly telling her about this traumatic experience. And I started to cry and my throat got all tight and I was trying to hold the tears in and she handed me a tissue and I apologized. I said, I'm so sorry, I'm crying. And she said, why are you apologizing? The only way to heal trauma is to grieve it to a witness. Let me be your witness. Wow. Yeah. Although here's my PS to the story, Denise. I eventually switched to a male therapist. (laughs) (laughs) Because I had to work my way. I still have that. I don't know. I think because my mom was so tough and so cruel, it's hard for me to be around a comforting, nurturing motherly figure. So I went to a male therapist who was super strong and like, yeah, that happened. What are you going to do about it? And I was much more comfortable with that. Right. Very direct. Yeah. Because it also gave you skills that you could, uh, okay, I need to face this. This is how I do it. This is what I need to own. And this is what I need to let go of. Right. Very clear. But that highly triggered feeling, sometimes that can be a sign for you you're protecting the wound with your reaction by trying to defend yourself when it hits that deep, that it sometimes it's that underlying feeling that is what's going to help you start to heal is if all of a sudden when you have something and it just really hits a chord in you and it's not even connected with anything. Don't you find that that's usually a sign to, Oh shit, I need to pay attention here. Yes. Yes, I do. A hundred percent. And one of the things Alice Miller says um, that's kind of controversial, maybe to some, she says, the fatigue characteristic of depression reasserts itself every time we repress strong emotions, play down the memory stored in the body and refuse them the attention they clamor for. She then asks, why do most people, including experts, greatly prefer medication rather than let themselves be guided by the knowledge stored in their bodies, because recognizing the truth is painful. But she says the pain is temporary. And I think there's the aha moment, right? Because sure, a lot of, especially if you go to a psychiatrist, they're just going to prescribe things. And I'm not saying that's not needed in some cases. So please do not misunderstand me. But what she's saying is that In addition to, if that's required, we also need to feel the pain. And yes, it's going to be painful, but it's not going to be forever. And I think a lot of people think, oh, if I unleash this and I really tap that wound and let it out, I'm going to be, you know, completely engulfed in this pain for the rest of my life. And she's saying, no, it's temporary. Very, very strong, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it really is. She says, um, I have to tell this story, Denise, because this reminded me when she said, in every adult who has suffered abuse as a child lies dormant that small child's fear of punishment at the hands of the parent if he or she should dare rebel against their behavior. But it will only lie dormant as long as that fear remains unconscious. 
Well, I already told you this story, but I'll tell listeners. I was visiting my dad in the nursing home. And as you all know, he is, you know, he doesn't know who I am. He's got full on Alzheimer's. And so he had just finished lunch and I was trying to get him up so that we could go sit outside in the garden and he couldn't stand up on his own. So the nurse was helping me and she's like, hold on, let me grab a wheelchair for him. So she grabs just any wheelchair there. It wasn't his wheelchair. So it wasn't, my dad's incredibly tall. So it wasn't set up for his height. And so we, we put him in the wheelchair and without thinking, I just went behind the wheelchair and pushed it, not thinking that his, he doesn't know anymore to lift his feet or put him on the leg supports. And so the wheel ran over his toe. Oh. And my dad screams out in pain. And I just burst into tears because I felt like I was going to get into trouble. <laughs> And it was just so random. Like here I am taking care of my dad. And I felt like, oh, it was that little girl reaction of, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to do that. Don't be mad. And my dad was, he's not the one I have my issues with, right? Like he never really did get mad at us. And yet that, that was the first reaction was just, oh, I effed up. I'm so sorry. Oh, but I, I mean, I, I, feel that in my heart for you I truly do because not only are you dealing with all the emotions of seeing your dad in that state of trying to be nurturing and kind and compassionate and then to think oh damn damn it I hurt him now I hurt him it was awful and I had to I had to push him back into his room because I couldn't stop crying and I was just sitting there next to his wheelchair crying on his shoulder and I was like I'm so sorry I hurt you you're going through so much it was terrible but I was reading, rereading this book for today's show. And I was thinking, I bet that, cause that's an overreactive response. I mean, yeah, it is upsetting to hurt your dad. It's terribly upsetting, but I mean, I really cried and I thought, I wonder if that's an emotional flashback. But it was also almost like a steam valve letting off all everything that's been building for so long. Yeah. And that's, that's huge because I, I agree with you, though, going back to that original and realizing that finding when, when you can get to that place where the, you realize the trigger is, is the past and not what we're going through now. I think that that's part of the bridge that needs to happen, don't you? Yes, I do. And when we get into the, the impact of emotional and psychological abuse, especially it can manifest as paranoia, depression, social withdrawal and isolation, lack of boundaries, inability to say no, being emotionally dependent or codependent, and sometimes even over-intellectualizing. So I think all of us listening can see some aspect of that in one way or another that we've interacted with other people because how can you be so sensitive and feel other people's emotions so deeply as an empath and not have some kind of a, I don't want to say an issue because that's not the word, some kind of depth with how we need to process it, I guess is a better way to put it. Do you mean like a barometer for your own emotions? I think so. It seems that that, that whole thing of, of guilt, of shame, of nightmares, of issues with trust or feeling suspicious or you know, fear, all of those things seem to be connected to it, it, but they may ex be expressed with, as you said, 
you know, having this steam valve release of emotion or rage or anger towards someone that because you're re-experiencing that trauma all over again. Right. Well, I think empaths, some empaths are created, not born, because they've had to tune into the ever-changing emotions of the family members. And so it's much more comfortable and instinctual to do that rather than go within to their own emotions. Because we're such natural fixers and caregivers and caretakers, it's, it feels unnatural or foreign to then start to focus within. Yes. Is that what you're saying? Yes. And I think that part of, for each of us as individuals, and also as we, and I'm still waving this flag that we can get to unity, we can get to a place of kindness and compassion as human beings. But another aspect of that is we have to do our own personal work as well. And there are many ways that we can do that. I mean, some of the things that are often recommended are yoga and meditation, cognitive behavioral therapy, but a newer kind of newer one is somatic therapy, which incorporates mind, body, spirit. In addition to talk therapy and somatic therapy, patients are encouraged to practice guided imagery, massage, breath work. It might even include music, dance, or art therapy. There's a lot of work being done right now with uh, hallucinogens and microdosing and using different treatments that may not be mainstream. So we're going to explore some of these in in upcoming shows as well, because this isn't a a one-topic show. This is something that I think causes a huge ripple in so many lives. And this may not apply to you, but I'm... feel very strongly that every single one of us and our community of listeners knows someone that who, who has gone through a traumatic situation and finding the skills to be able to help someone else stand up through this work could be incredibly empowering for them. Life-changing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could be the enlightened witness for someone. Oh, exactly. Oh, I love that. That would be a good thing. Yeah. So stay tuned because we will revisit the show topic in some upcoming shows that we have. Some books that we mentioned, I just want to go over again, Complex PTSD from Surviving to Thriving. There's another good one called Healing the Shame That Binds by John Bradshaw and Emotional Child Abuse, The Family Curse by Joel Covitz. And there's a great one called What Happened to You by Oprah that I think a lot of people would really, really enjoy. If you're looking for more information on how to build more emotional freedom, how to release yourself from trauma, how to truly build compassion and release any resentments that are holding you back, Dr. Judith Orloff is offering an, an hour and a half Zoom talk and mentoring session on Friday, April 1st of this year, 2022, at 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, which would be 2 o'clock in New York, 8 o'clock in Hawaii, 7 p.m. in London, and 5 a.m. in Sydney. And throughout this time together, she wants to help people learn to set an intention on how to release a resentment, cultivate compassion, and aim for the grace of forgiveness, address resistances to letting go of resentment, including the ego, how to constructively make amends, and how to learn to resist the desire for revenge. 
This is geared towards empaths, so from an empath for an empath. And I think that uh, from what I understand, the workshop will be part lecture and part working with participants in a Q&A session. And, and Dr. Orloff will actually actively mentor some participants on how to release specific resentments and identify any resistance to letting go. So this is an amazing opportunity and a great way to to possibly take you a little bit further on your journey with stepping free from things holding you back. So again, that's April 1st, 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. And you can find that information, drjudithorloff.com forward slash releasing grudges and resentments. And you can find it on our website as well under events. So I think that it, it may be worth checking out. So we hope you guys have enjoyed this episode. Please stay tuned for some more shows on trauma. If you have any questions you'd like to submit to the show, don't forget you can always email us enlightenedempaths at gmail.com or join us on our Facebook page by searching Enlightened Empaths and send us a message there. We hope you have a wonderful healing week. Please remember as always to show up, do great work and share your light. Take care.